Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Perusia podcast. Shabaresh, the director at Perusia, your host, and uh, we're catching our breath after the the Rosary pilgrimage. Uh, four weeks journeying from Our Lady's birthday all the way up to the Feast of the Holy Rosary. We are in the month of the Holy Rosary, and what a journey it was! Thanks to everyone who participated in that. Forty thousand people, hundred and sixteen countries uh, participated, and we we we're here. We're still getting comments today. Um, conversion stories literally conversion stories um people coming into the catholic church as a result of this uh, many catholics who have lost their way with the rosary of now praying it again um, and people discovering that it is in fact the way to pray scripture and uh, it's big here at Perusia. what we're trying to do is to promote so many ways of formation and one of them is bible studies um you can now purchase it it's now available for purchase if you get onto the uh, website um go to uh, purchase you can click on rosary pilgrimage it's only $19.99 australian that is about $14 us it's nothing uh, you can get it own it um, and watch those meditations over and over again so please go go check that out um, and many of you um, who have participated it's a great gift as well especially during the month of the rosary so take advantage of that i'm excited because we are up to now session four of an, a virtual bible study and it's with none other then the founder or the from the website catholicconvert.com the the um pilgrim guide himself steve ray um hi steve how are you doing hello charbel um i miss the holy land in the middle east and europe we've been grounded but normally if this was um normal times i'd be in israel right now with two sold out buses i had two sold out buses yes. and we had to move them now into next year but i'd have been in israel right now with 100 people Wow, wow. That's kind of sad, but uh, I'm glad we can kind of do a virtual. What we're really doing here is a Bible study, but it's also a virtual pilgrimage of all the biblical lands. We started out in Iraq and Turkey with Abraham and Israel and Moses in in Egypt and Jordan of today. And uh, now we're going to the prophets, uh, the Jordan and Israel and all the Palestinian areas for Elijah and Elisha. So even though I can't travel, we're grounded for a while till April 7 is my next trip. And then people should know. All you Aussies, I love saying that, yeah. <laughs> you and uh, Harvest Tours are going to go with us to the Holy Land in February, I think it is, or in the first part of 2021, 22. Yes. 22, that's right. So start keeping that on your um, on your radar. Uh, we don't have the brochures up yet, but we will be taking a group of Australians along with Harvest Tours uh, in 2022. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. I will be on that one. I'm, I'm, uh, I can't wait for that. And it's been one of uh, one of my goals for at least a decade now to try to go to the Holy Land with you. <laughs> I hear so much about it. And so can't wait um, to join that. Um, t- today's show, Elijah and Elisha. Um, prophets, this is a um, in the series. You've got nine uh, DVDs out in the series. One more to come. To complete the series, um, but in this in this series, we're, we're trying to go through the nine that are currently out. Um, yeah, what a journey it's been! We've gone through yes, Genesis and Exodus. We've done um, all of all of that. Uh, Moses and then and King David, Solomon. Now we're up to the prophets. So, where to begin, Steve? Um, with with this Bible period. Well, the the whole idea here is to go all the way from creation to the apostolic fathers in the early church and. We've done, like you said, Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the next one, the second one was with uh, Moses and Joshua going through the book of Exodus. And then we did, uh, we also did the book of Judges. And now we, we covered the kings. 
We're coloring now the prophets, and I call them the conscience of the kingdom. The kings and the priests and the, those leading Israel were just as bad as a lot of people leading our countries today. And they needed prophets to be the conscience, to be the voice of God, to correct them, to speak out. We need more prophets today. Mm. I wish the prophets, I wish the bishops would do more to fulfill their job as being prophets. That's one of their callings. And I wish they would do more to do that, calling people out, recognizing sin, in the, not only in the church, but in the culture. And uh, so today we're going to cover the prophets, starting with Elijah. We're going to hit the two biggies, Elijah and Elisha. Now, when Jesus referred to the Old Testament, he didn't say in the Old Testament, because there wasn't an Old Testament. There was no Old and New Testaments. When Jesus spoke of what we call the Old Testament, he referred to it as the law and the prophets. We're going to cover the prophets. These two guys, I'm going to start with Elijah. Who were the ones at Mount Transfiguration? Well, they were Moses and Elijah. Why those two? Because that's the law and the prophets. They summarized the whole Old Testament in Jesus's time. Moses represented the law. Elijah, who's called the, the father of the prophets, he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, the law and the prophets. And I think they're handing the baton onto Jesus. They said, we brought it this far, Jesus. Now you go all the way to the New Testament, the New Covenant. And so that just shows how important Elijah was. So you want to talk about Elijah and Elisha. When I was a Protestant, we called him Elisha, Elisha. When I made the movie, I had to start using the Catholic name, Elisha, because if I said Elijah and Elisha, they were too close. And I, people would, well, which one was that you were referring to? So I, I've learned now to call them Elijah and Elisha even though Elisha sounds like a girl's name and he was anything but feminine. Um, so I've learned to call him that. Now in the old test, in, in the catechism, we learn that they are saints. And in the Eastern church, you come from Maronite where That's you right. come from, you recognize St. Elijah, St. Moses, St. Elisha, yes, St. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We in the Western church don't do that much. And most Catholics of the Western bent from the Latin church are surprised if I call them St. Elijah or St. Elisha. But in the catechism, paragraph 61, the patriarchs, prophets, <clears throat> prophets, and certain other Old Testament figures have been and always will be honored as saints in the liturgical traditions of the church. These patriarchs, prophets, and others are considered saints. Now, Adam and Eve are saints. People don't know that they have their own feast day, Adam and Eve. It's December 24th. New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve is the feast day of Saints Adam and Saint Eve. Wow, wow. And the feast days for Elijah is July 20th. Elisha is June 14th. And they are called saints. You in the Maronite and the Eastern tradition, you already know that. But what I'm saying here will be new. To a lot of the Latin or Roman Catholics. Yeah, so let's let's um let's dive in. Uh, I mean, they're they're very important. Um, and and so you did you made a movie on Elijah. So what? Why did you do it? Um, what? Why? I mean, you've just explained he's such an important prophet, and and uh, it's probably underestimated. But we we gloss over this this period. We're very unfamiliar with a lot of this, and 
Um, and we can't forget how important the prophets were. But Elijah, we could call this the, we could call it the black hole. Somebody, black some hole. folks were just nominated or given the Nobel Prize for explaining more about the black holes in the universe. Well, I should get a Nobel Prize today because I'm going to be talking about the black holes. This is really a 1,200-year period, which you could call the black hole of biblical history because people know somewhat about creation, Adam and Eve and Moses and the Joshua and coming into the land. But then it kind of goes fuzzy. Yes. And people kind of just kind of flounder around until they get to the Gospels. And so this is really 1,200 years we're going to cover here from 800 B.C. Well, less than 1,200, really. It's only going to be about, um, from Elijah and, Eli and Elisha, about 800 B.C. Okay. on. Uh, but the, the, Samuel was a prophet earlier. He's really considered the first of the prophets. But these guys were really the considered the pinnacle of the beginning of the prophets. They were the fathers of the prophets. So in 2017, we went to uh, spend a lot of time in Egypt, Jordan, the Palestinian areas, and Israel filming the life of these two guys because Elisha is buried in, in uh, Egypt. We'll get to that. Elijah went to Mount Sinai. So of course, I had to go up there and find the cave where he, God spoke to him in the cave. We'll talk about that hopefully as we get along. And uh, he, he was born in Jordan of today. Uh, Elijah was. He was born in a city called Tishbe. And we know where it is. And he hid by the brook Kareth and the ravens fed him in Jordan. So, and he was uh, taken up into heaven from Jordan. So there's, Jordan has a big part to play in, in these guys' lives. So we went to all those places. Um, they're very important. Elijah is mentioned eight times in the catechism. He's mentioned a whopping 106 times in the Bible and almost an unprecedented 29 times in the New Testament. That's Elijah. 29 times in the New Testament. That's more than some New Testament people are named. You will find him named more than Mary, for example. Wow. Yeah. Named more than Barnabas and some others. Uh, he's very, very well known in the New Testament. He represents the prophets. He represents the whole last half of the Bible where it says the law and the prophets. He appears at the transfiguration. He is a type of John the Baptist. He, he is a figure. When you look at him, you are supposed to see a figure or a type of John the Baptist who is to come. What you let me know when you want to touch on that, because um, maybe now yeah. would be a good time. What, yeah. What I'd love to do is um, yeah, let's look at the, I mean, you've gone to Jordan, Israel, Egypt, um, and given an overview, but it'd be interesting to see um, most of his, his life and, and what was it like and how is it a type? If you want to explain that. Let's do the type first. Yes. It makes a point that he was a hairy man some translations say hairy man, and some say dressed with hair. Prophets wore camel hair robes. They were known for that. Later on, we hear that as well. And John the Baptist came dressed that way and camel hair, and it says he had a leather belt. The only two guys in the Bible that wore camel hair robes with a leather belt are Elijah and John the Baptist. I think the Holy Spirit is pointing these two guys. These are the only two guys that wore camel hair robes and they wore leather belts, the only ones that the Bible mentions, and they happen to be very closely tied. For example, 
at the end of the Bible, the last prophet was Malachi. Malachi ends his book, his prophecy, by saying, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I will send you Elijah. Well, Elijah's already been dead for a long time. How can you send us Elijah? Well, Jesus says that whether you realize it or not, John the Baptist came in the power, spirit and power of Elijah. He is the Elijah who is to come. So in other words, the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, said that four or five hundred years from now, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, a guy named Elijah or who will represent Elijah is going to come and prepare the way of the Lord. Well, that man was John the Baptist. So John the Baptist really fulfills the type of Elijah. Also very similar, though. They were both kind of hairy guys out in the wilderness. They were both a little bit, they were recluses. They were like monks. They didn't fit well into society. John the Baptist, I think we all think that he was one of the Essenes from the Dead Sea Scrolls, that he was down in the city of Essen, uh, uh, down in Essen area where that was took place. And he was kind of countercultural. He lived in the wilderness. He had an unusual diet. He ate grasshoppers and honey. Now, some people say locust is a tree and some white thing. Come on. He ate locusts, which are grasshoppers. In the Leviticus 11.22 in the Bible, it says the Jews are limited. They can't eat a lot of things. They can't eat shrimp. They can't eat shrimp on the barbie. They can't eat lobster and crab and all those great things that I ate when I was down with you guys that come right out of the water when you're in Sydney there. They can't eat those. They can only eat fish that have scales and fins. They are limited what they can eat. But in Leviticus 11.22, it says that they can eat insects that hop, grasshoppers, crickets, and locusts. That's part of their diet. They could eat those. Mary and Jesus ate them too. Many people in the third world today eat grasshoppers because they're high in protein and they're plentiful. And the Old Testament law allowed the Jews to eat locusts, grasshoppers, and crickets. Well, that's what John the Baptist ate. When I, by the way, when I'm in the movie, you tell them. Yeah, I noticed you You, you gave it a shot too. <laughs> you tried it. And uh I think that was very funny. <laughs> when I'm explaining what I'm explaining right now, I was sitting in front of a fire with a frying pan yeah. and I'm stirring away and you could hear the olive oil sizzling in the, and I said, no, by the way, these grasshoppers taste great. <laughs> when I make my movies, I really live it. You know, I love living the Bible. And the Holy love I even that. ate a raw grasshopper once when I was out with a bunch of folks in Qumran, which oh, is, is where like? were. And I was explaining, because that's down by where John the Baptist was in Qumran. He only he was baptizing only about three miles away from Qumran. That's why we believe that he was part of that community. And by the way, part of that community, they also would have known Jesus and been his first disciples there in Qumran. That's all stuff we'll talk about when we go on the pilgrimage. But I explained to people that John the Baptist lived down here. He ate grasshoppers. It happened to be in the fall. There are grasshoppers everywhere. And I jokingly said, if you catch a grasshopper, I'll eat it. So four smarty, smarty pants is what we call them up here in the States, decided to go get one. A couple minutes later, they came back with a four-inch wiggly grasshopper, and they said, what you going to do now, Steve? 
My wife says, you aren't. I said, Janet, you know me better than that. I love living the Bible in the Holy Land. So I chucked that grasshopper in my mouth. His legs were kicking on. I pushed him all the way in, chewed him up and swallowed him. <laughs> I love living the Bible in the Holy Land. Everybody's going, that's gross. That is really gross. I said, wait a minute. The Holy Family ate these people in those days because it was part of their diet. They would have eaten it, high protein. Well, anyway, so um, John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Elijah and he comes in the he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah so those two are very well linked now that also then begs the question are Elisha Elisha and Jesus linked yes they are also Elisha is a type of Christ so you have Elijah and John the Baptist Elisha and Christ and if you follow through the Bible and I'm not going to do that for everybody today you're going to do it on your own or watch my movie because I explained it all there you'll see that they are types and anti-types or fulfillments of each other fantastic uh, were they um uh how far apart Elijah and Elisha uh or um I say Elisha but uh, how, how far apart are we talking about they um... um Elijah was already getting to be an old man probably he was um because once he chooses Elisha to be his prototype mm -hmm. he chooses him to be his deputy so to speak and the, and the way that happened is if you see me go up into heaven then you will you'll be my successor you'll succeed me. And the way he did that was by throwing the mantle. Now, let me explain that. Not only did he wear a camel's hair robe and a leather belt, but he had what was called a mantle. And in the movie, I have a big lamb's wool, a brown lamb's wool hide. And I wore that around my shoulders. And when he gave that to Elisha, and, this, and when we did the scene, it was in an area between Israel and Jordan, and it was a military zone. And the place where Elisha was born was Mahula, and it's behind barbed wire. And it, you're not allowed to go there. It says no entry, military only. And I said to my camera crew and my guide who was driving me around, Amr Shahada, you'll meet him when we go on a pilgrimage. I said, I got to get in that area down there. And they said, well, I uh, see the sign. I said, yeah, but by the time we go down there and get that filming, we can be out before they ever catch us. So he said, okay. So it's got to be a, like a guerrilla operation. We're going to go in, get the shots, load up and get out quick. And he said, but they got cameras everywhere. They're going to see you as soon as you go down. I said, let's do it quick then. So we went down in this area right along the barbed wire fences. You saw it if you watched the movie. And it's all signs with, with skull and crossbones, landmines and everything. That's right. The landmines were there. And I said, this is where Elisha was born. This mound here was Mahula of the old times. And this is where Elijah met him. After Elijah came back from Mount Sinai, he saw him plowing in the fields. And he said, through his mantle, and he said, you're going to be my successor. So Elisha burned the cows, offered them as a sacrifice, and followed Elijah. And he became his successor. He said, but I want a double portion of your power, of your spirit. And he says, that's asking a lot, buddy. But he did get it. Well, anyway, as soon as we got done filming, we loaded our stuff and we started to pull out and the Israeli military vehicles came with the machine guns up on top and the soldiers surrounded us. And they said, what are you doing here? And we tried, we told them while we were coming, that's Mahula, that's where Elisha was born. We're making a movie. So this is it. forbidden for you to be in this territory. It's dangerous for you to be here. We explained it to them. Well, we did. Well, we're really interested. And they let us go, but it took us about a half an hour before they let us out of there. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's a tough job and somebody's got to do it or we would have never seen the place where Alicia was born. 
That's amazing. Yeah, it is. There it is. I mean, you've got you got um, scenes from the movie. Brilliant, and, and you, you were a risk taker. <laughs> um, now, tell us some highlights. So most of Elijah's life was outside of Israel. Uh, we mentioned um, also uh, assumed from Jordan. But, um, yeah, tell us a bit more about some of the, the highlights. This book of First Kings has what I call six episodes yeah. of Elijah's life. They're, it's not like a continuous story. It's like cycles. Here's one event of his life. Here's another event. It, it touches on six events of his life. It's, it's written different than the stories of other biblical characters, but it's really interesting. Um, there's one where he goes up to Zarephath, which is in Lebanon of today, up by Sidon. He went up there to Sidon, um, and he took care of a woman, a widow of Zarephath, and he gave her, uh, multiplied actually, multiplied for her lots of food, uh, the oil and the, the wheat flour. That's one. Three years later is the biggie where he has a challenge of Baal. We'll talk about that as a separate thing. Um, another, The third event is he goes to Mount Sinai, where he meets God. And that's where we went to Mount Sinai. And we he went into a cave and we found that cave. There's a Greek Orthodox church in front of it. But we looked through a keyhole. It was a very interesting scene where we looked through the keyhole and we saw the cave. And we were right up on the side of the mountain where that was. And it's where it says that God, there was an earthquake and there was a fire and there was lightning and thunder, but God was not in any of those or earthquake. And then it said there was a still small silence and God was in the silence. Yes. And in the movie, I said that Elijah needed a spiritual director and God was his spiritual director. Well, then there's a story about a vineyard that was taken away. Another one about lightning killing troops. And then the, another big one, the, the second, third big one is his assumption into heaven, which we can touch on a separate one. But the, the life of Elijah was fraught with danger. He was an exile because Ahab was the king. And Ahab was married to a very evil woman named Jezebel. She was also from Lebanon. She's no reflection on the goodness of you folks. She was the worshiper of Baal. By the way, if you want to see Baal, here he is. This is the god Baal. This is actually an actual statue of Baal that's 3,000 years old. This is one that some Israelite or Sidonian used to worship. This is actually an antiquity from Israel. I did have the priest exorcise them and sprinkle them with holy water. Very Other good. images of Baal. I have four. These are 3,000 years old, what you're holding there. These are 3,000 years old, right. These are, these are antiquities. And this is Asherah, who was the escort of Baal. You can see she's laying down here, but that's Asherah, who's mentioned many times in the story of Elijah. And these were the gods. And they were interesting. They were the gods of rain because everything there was agricultural. You lived by the rains. You came out of Egypt and you were making bricks. You didn't know how to make fields. You didn't know how to grow crops. They'd always been in the mud with their feet making bricks. And now, and, and having sheep, sheep and bricks, that's the very different than growing wheat and barley and corn. So now they're in this land and they have to learn how to do that. How do they learn it? They go to the Canaanites who live there and the Canaanites taught them the agriculture, how to plow a field, how to make a plow how to raise the grain, 
all and how to then use the grain. But if it didn't rain, all of that was wasted. Rain was the most important thing. In any agricultural uh, community, rain is so important. And the gods in those areas are usually fertility gods, gods that are bring the rain, they bring the crops, they bring the life. And so Baal was the great God of the rain, of the storms, of lightning. He was the God that brought them these things and he was considered a fertility God. So all of their ceremonies were very sexual in nature, very sexual because in a way they viewed the gods coming down and impregnating the earth with the water and then the earth would bear fruits. It's a very sexual image of the gods overshadowing the earth. And the rain comes down, the seeds, so to speak, and then the crops come up. So everything was very sexual. Now, at this point, I would go, I think I would touch on a few things. Why did these people, why were they so seduced by the gods? Yeah. They had Yahweh. Yeah. They had Yahweh. He brought them out of right. Egypt. It wasn't a stupid golden calf. It wasn't dumb Baal. But this was that he had a duel with Baal in a bit. And we'll talk about that. I call it the dueling gods when they have two altars. But one of the reasons that they have that they fell for these gods, that they were seduced by them is because they didn't know how to do gardening. And they learned it from the Canaanites who were living in the land. And along with that learning how to grow crops, they also learned about the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of Phoenicia which is Lebanon of today, and the gods of Canaan. And these were the pagan deities, Asherah and, um, and Baal. And across the Jordan, it was Malak and Chemosh, who, uh, who insisted on infant sacrifice. So the one re first reason is because they learned it from the Canaanites. Second is because this all had to do with sexuality. And when you can bring sexuality into your religion, it appeals to all the baser instincts of men. For example, this was almost sacramental. If you went with a prostitute, it was a sacrament that would help the rains come. So encouraged. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so men, it was a, it appealed to the baser instincts. Let's put it of men, yes. the lusts of men. Third, their gods were visible. See right there. Show yeah. me a picture. Would you of Yahweh? Would you have a statue of Yahweh, a picture of Yahweh? We don't. He's an invisible God. Until Jesus came, That's right. we have a visible image of God in the second person, the Trinity. But these guys had these images that they could actually carry around in their pocket. And they could pray to them or big ones that they have. In the movie, we go to Sebastian. And we have found a big cow's head, which was Baal, an image of Baal. And they would worship this ugly, ugly cow. But their gods were visible, much better than having an invisible God, at least according to the Jews. And fourth is that a lot of these, Paul tells us, in, uh, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, uh, the Psalms tell us this, and Paul tells us in Corinthians, that behind these gods, there are demons. That when you bow down and worship these pagan gods, you are worshiping demons. And demons have power. And demons can do things. So don't think that these earthly things and these images were not imbued with demonic power, which impressed the Israelite people. So those are four reasons, I think, that they were so easily seduced by the gods of the pagans around them. We, we never learn our lesson, do we? I mean, it, it's just goes, this vicious cycle of um, 
God is is um, showing us His signs, and the Israelites would believe, and then very quickly they fall away, and then they go into pagan worship. And here we go again. But He raises a prophet, and now Elijah is there to remind them of the one true God again. <laughs> and if you think that they're stupid for worshiping other gods, ask yourself, what are your gods? What do you mean today? Men today put other things in the place of God. That's what an idol is. An idol is something that takes the place of God. How many men sit in front of a computer screen watching pornography? Mm-hmm. And that becomes an idol that replaces God. Money, health and beauty. All of these things can become idols that people put in the place of God. And whether they like it or not, they bow down and worship them by the way they act and what they give deference and preference too. Well, I want at that point, I think it would be good to go to the, because already I see that we're already into the second half of this. Um, and we haven't even gotten to Alicia yet. Let's do the challenge. Yeah. Because Ahab was such a wicked king, he was an Israelite king, but he married the Phoenician up from your country there of Lebanon. Yeah. And he married... Uh, Jezebel and Jezebel killed, I think, all of the priests of Israel or all the ones that she knew of. She killed the prophets and the priests of Yahweh. She tore down their temples and she established in Israel the northern tribes, I should say, not not Judah and Jerusalem. The country, the Israel was already divided into the northern and the southern tribes. And these guys were ministering up in the northern tribes. That's where they were prophesying. Ahab was a wicked king who allowed his wife to kill the prophets and the priests of Yahweh and install instead the altars and religious worship of Baal and Asherah, the pagan gods of Canaan. So Elijah said there will not be any rain. He goes, this guy was courageous. You know, I see him as just like a, a little wiry, hairy he, he, he just was wiry muscles because he ran all the way to Mount Sinai. That's good grief. That from all the way in the Northern Israel, he said he went all the way to Mount Sinai. That's, that's a long, that's a long hike. That's hundreds of miles and through rugged, rugged territory. So I view, I see him as a hairy guy with a beard, kind of like a, uh, a recluse out in the desert. If you saw him, you'd say, let's get away from him. He smells really bad. And so he t- goes to Ahab, the king, and that's in Sebastia. The, the, I, I go in the movie, I show you the palace. It was called the Ivory Palace of Ahab. And the steps are all still there. And he goes there and he walks up these steps and he says, I want to speak to King Ahab. Well, this is the king of Israel. He's got armies. He's got everything he needs to knock a little fly like this off the wall. And Elijah walks up and said, there will be no rain until I say so. And then he went and hid at the brook Kareth, which we found also on the Jordan side of Israel, on the Jordan side of the Jordan River. And it wasn't too far from where Elijah was born in Tishbe. And he went down there and hid by the brook and the ravens brought him food. God commissioned ravens to bring him food, and he drank from the brook until, with no rain, the brook dried up. So he he was being fed by these ravens. Now, I did my best to get a raven, but I'll tell you, it's impossible to get a raven. I did find a raven, and the day before they were going to bring him to me, the raven died. 
So we we did some fancy work to show you ravens, but now he he went and hid. But what happened then? He came, he challenged Ahab to a duel. You know, in the West, out here in the West of the United States, I don't know. You probably had duels too, but that's where two guys going to test each other. They get the guns and they take, turn yeah. around, they walk 20 paces, turn around, bam, shoot at each other. Whoever shoots, whoever dies, you know, doesn't win. That's <laughs> so right. He challenges Ahab to a duel. He says, we're going to go up to Mount Muraka. And that is in the Carmel mountain range in Israel today. And there's a church built there to honor this event. And he says, you bring, you come up there, King and Jezebel, and bring everybody with you. Bring all your 450 prophets of Baal. Bring all of your dignitaries, everyone up. It'll be all of you against little old me. And I said, they all came up there that day. Can you consider the pomp and circumstances going 1,900 feet up to the top of this mountain where you can look out over all of Israel. You can see the Carmel mountain range and you can see the Mediterranean Sea. And it says that Elijah built two altars, altars of stone, one for Baal and one for Yahweh. And then he kills two bulls. Somebody had to get those bulls up there too. You know, when you read these stories, you never think about that. Who got those bulls? How did they get those bulls up that mountain? Well, anyway, he slaughtered the bulls. He cuts their throat and he puts one bull on his altar and another bull on the other altar of Baal. And he says, all right, whoever's God can send fire down to burn these sacrifices, that is the real God. You guys go first. Says all day, they danced around 450 prophets of Baal, dancing around, oh, Baal, bring down fire but only silence. There's no Baal. He says nothing. The evening comes. Elijah starts to mock them. He taunts them. Hey, guys, King Ahab, Jezebel, maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he's on a journey. Call louder. Where is he? Maybe your God is sleeping. And the one I love, Maybe your God is on the toilet and he's too busy to come and help you. Now in the Bible, just so you'll know, whenever it speaks delicately about the toilet, it refers to it as stepping aside. Stepping when aside. Jesus and the 12 disciples were out walking in the morning along the Sea of Galilee, one at a time, they would all say, uh, I'll catch up with you in a minute. I have to step aside. And they would step into a bush and use the toilet. So they, he's mocking, saying to Ahab and all of the prophets, maybe Baal's on the toilet. Maybe he stepped aside. Maybe you'll have to wait for him. <laughs> well, towards the end of the day, nothing had happened. After his mocking, they start cutting themselves with knives, trying to draw blood to get his attention. Please, Baal, answer our prayers. And as the sun starts to go down, John uh, Elijah said, okay, enough. Baal didn't hear you. Now we're going to see who the true God is. And up there on Mount Maraca in the Carmel mountain range above the Kishon River, Elijah says, pour water on my altar. I'm sure they said there's been no rain for three and a half years. There is no water. Pour water on my altar. So they poured water on the bull. He said, pour more on the altar. Soak the rocks. 
They did it. Pour more water, more water, fill the ditch around it. Make sure everything is soaking, sopping wet so fire can never burn it. And they poured all the water out, which is very extravagant because there was no water. There was a three and a half year drought. Yes. And then he steps back and says, oh, God of Israel, Yahweh, show these people once and for all who is God. And it says fire came down from him and it burned the bull. It licked up the water in the trench, burned it as though it were gasoline. It burned all the rocks and all the peoples were shocked. And they all bowed down and said, the Lord, he is God. Yahweh, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah took those 450 prophets. He took them. I don't know how he got them, but he had them taken down to the Kishon River. And he slew them all with a sword to rid Israel of paganism. And then, so you would assume, King Ahab and Jezebel would say, oh, my goodness, we're following the wrong gods. Oh, Elijah, you're right. We were. They didn't. They said, we are so angry that we're going to kill you. You are going to be just like the prophets of ours that you killed. And so Elijah ran away. And here's one of the fun things about this story. We think of saints as always being perfect. They're always strong in the Lord. But saints have their weaknesses. Yep. Saints have their sins and their problems. It says he ran away because he found out that he had failed to convert Ahab and Jezebel, and they were going to kill him. So he runs away, and he goes to a broom tree out in the desert, and he falls asleep under the broom tree. But before he falls asleep, he said, okay, God, I have failed, so just kill me now. Just kill me and get it over with. Now, you don't think of a prophet and a saint saying that. Like, I give up. I failed. I'm no good. Just kill me. Go ahead. I want to get it over with. Where are you? Kill me. And he fell asleep. And when he woke up in the morning, a, an angel was there with some food. And he said, Elijah, get yourself together. Go to Mount Sinai. So at that point, he goes all the way to Mount Sinai. That's a long way. That's all the way down through Israel, all the way down through the... Israel is three hundred and roughly 360 some miles long. Very skinny. Very long. He went all the way down there. Then he crossed into Sinai, and he has to go all the way down to the tip of Sinai to Mount Sinai, and also another name for it is Horeb. And he goes all the way up to Mount Horeb, and he waits to see, why did God tell me to come all the way here? And he's in a cave. And we found that cave when we went there. It's in the movie. And it says there's a fire and an earthquake and a storm. But God was not in any of those. There was a still small voice, and it was God, the spiritual director. He had a little chat with a whisper, and Elijah was renewed and reinvigorated. So, you know, there's a point to this. Sometimes we need to get away from computers and gadgets and people and all the noise, noise, noise. Go and listen to the small voice of God. Sometimes the best place to do that is in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And just people think when they go for a holy hour or to the Blessed Sacrament, they have to talk. Talk, talk, talk. God, I'm here. God, I'm here. I'm still, I'm still here, God. Uh, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? Um, what else should I say? Oh, I'll read a couple of verses in the Bible. Okay. Now, no. sometimes the best thing you can do in front of the blessed sacrament is just shut up and let God speak to you. It's usually a still small voice and he doesn't intrude into our life. He invites us to come and listen 
and he'll do that. So that's what Elijah did. Elijah went up there to that mountain. He met with God, and then he came back. The first thing he did when he got back is he saw Elisha. Mm-hmm. And he threw his mantle on Elisha, who is a farmer, and said, you're going to be my you're going to be my protege. You're going to follow me. So that brings us up to his assumption into heaven. Yeah, and that, that's amazing. Um, he is assumed into heaven. This is radical, right? What's going on here? What? Um, not uh, how do we know this? And um, and I guess uh, why would God do that? What's so significant about this assumption? We know of two men who were assumed into heaven, body and soul. Mm. Enoch. In Genesis 5, it says Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. There's a guy walking along, and all of a sudden, where's Enoch? (laughs) I don't know, but there was a flash in front of me, and I think it was him. (laughs) The book of Hebrews refers to that and even uses the word he was assumed into heaven. So for those who want to say that he was just taken up in spirit, he was body and soul taken up into heaven. Elijah was the same way. He told he was on the other side of the Jordan River, and there's a place there called Mar Elias, Saint Elias. You know, in Arabic, Mar means saint, and Elias is the word Elijah in Arabic. So it's called Mar Elias. It's the hill of Elijah, and it's right near the place where he was baptizing. And at that point, he said to Elisha, I'm going to go. Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah said, that's asking a lot. But if you see me go up, then you will receive it from God. So Elisha's watching, watching, watching. And right, they get out there by the, by the other side of the Jordan River there. And it said, there's a, a whirlwind and the hor- heavenly horses, horses from heaven come down in a chariot and they pick up Elijah and they take him up in a whirlwind to heaven. Eli- Elisha said, I see them, Father Elijah. There's a, he called him Father. I thought you're not supposed to call anyone Father, right? Call no man Father. But Elisha says, I see them, Father. They're the horses of heaven. And at that moment, Elijah threw his mantle down, and it came to Elisha, and he received the power. And then he crossed over the Jordan River, and he took his mantle, and he slapped the water of the Jordan River. And he says, where's the God of Elijah? And the water parted for him to go across. Now, one thing before we go any further, I told you that John the Baptist was a fulfillment of Elijah. You don't see these things unless you know the land and the proximity and where things happened. People don't know where Elijah was taken up into heaven, and they don't know where John the Baptist was baptizing. When you find out that those two are right together, (laughs) then when the Jews come down from Jerusalem, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they said, all of Israel came down to see John. All of Israel came down. That's a 20-mile walk. And you're going from 3,000 feet above sea level to the lowest place on the face of the earth, where John was baptizing at the waters of Jordan at the Dead Sea is 1,250 feet below sea level. If Mount Everest is the highest place on the face of the earth, that Jordan River is the lowest place on the face of the earth. So they had to, they walked all the way down there, 20 miles. They went down, what is that, 4,250 feet. And then you had to go all the way back up 20 miles, climbing up, 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 up. But all of Jerusalem came down to see John. And what did they ask him? Are you Elijah? 
Why did they ask him that? Are you Elijah? That's what they kept asking. Mm. They didn't say, are you Isaiah or are you Jeremiah or Samuel? They said, are you Elijah? Why? Mm. Because they knew that Elijah was going to come back and they knew what he looked like. And John the Baptist looked just like Elijah. And John the Baptist was preaching at the very place where Elijah had gone up. He chose that spot purposely. I'm, a, I, I'm convinced that John the Baptist chose that place in the Jordan purposely because it was from that spot that Elijah had gone up. So the Jews came down and they looked at him and said, are you Elijah? Elijah went up from here. Did you just come back down? Yeah. <laughs> and so you see the proximity of places and the correlation between events. 800 years later, the Jews, they never forgotten that Elijah went up from right here. Now this guy's baptized and he's got a leather belt too. Wait a minute. Two plus two is, but we're still not going to believe. That's right. All that history, all that history. And and I, I just feel like uh, I'm one of the, the children sitting around the campfire here hearing these stories from you. Uh, and this is how it would have been passed on just uh, um, year after year, generation to generation, yep. um, parents onto their children and so forth. The way you're telling the story now, and what would have been like, they wouldn't have, they would have, you know, they would have had scrolls, but not everyone had a, a Bible or a book that they could read, or they didn't have the internet or or smartphones. Right. <laughs> they had to hear this uh, by tradition and by by the passing on of the of the stories, and, yep. and I'm, I feel like I'm reliving it right now. <laughs> well, good. I, I'm glad that you feel that way. Well, the next thing we should do since that's the end of Elijah, but we have to realize that he prepared the way for someone else when he went up to heaven. And who was that? The yeah, blessed Virgin Mary. Oh, yes. Okay. If two men can be taken up to heaven, body and soul, what's the big deal if God decides to take the mother of his son up to heaven and all the more appropriate, we're going to talk about Mary next time. And a month yes. from now, Mary will be our topic, but how appropriate that Jesus is the king and kings always have queens, but the queens are never their wives are always their mothers. Yeah. So Mary has taken body and soul into heaven to be seated at the right hand of her son to be the queen of heaven. This is very biblical. We'll talk all about that next time. But now you have Elisha, Elisha, and he's now going out with the power of Elijah, carrying that mantle. And one of the most macabre, I think in England, they say macabre, it means really um, bloody and horrific. Is it? He just crosses, Elisha crosses the Jordan. He just leaves Elijah going up, crosses the Jordan back into Israel, and a bunch of young people, young guys, four, more than 42. There probably was about anywhere between 50 and 100 young men came down. It says boys. And they start taunting him. I'm going to take my hat off for this scene yeah. <laughs> because Elijah was a hairy man, but Elisha was a bald headed man. Elijah was old. Elisha was young. Elijah was a recluse, a kind of a hermit living in the wilderness. Eli Elisha is much more urbane. He feels comfortable around people and in the cities, but he was bald headed. And we know that because the boys started mocking him. They came out into the desert when he was going up to, to Bethel and they said, you go up to old bald head. You bald head. Why don't Elijah, Elijah just went up. Why don't you go up to bald head? They were making fun of him. And two bears come running out of the woods. And it says they maul, rip apart, tear up 42 of the lads. Well, we know there are at least 42 boys there. 
there probably was 50 to 100. And I've been in a crowd like that once in Israel, actually, in the Kidron Valley, where a whole bunch of young Palestinian boys surrounded us when we were filming and they wanted money. And one of the crew said, I'll just give this guy a shekel just to get him off our back. But you know what happens if you throw bread to a seagull? You get 100 seagulls all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, there was like 50 to 60 young guys that surrounded us. And they were climbing at us, trying to pull us down to the ground, getting our, wow. going in our pie. It was very scary. And I don't remember to this day how we got them to stop. But we did. And I think that the guide at the time had a gun. You know, a lot of the, the Jews carry guns in the back of their belt. And I think that he might have pulled that and he left us alone. I don't remember exactly how that happened. But this was what this was a very scary thing also for Alicia to be surrounded by 50 to 100 young men who are mocking him. And they may very well have been from some of the people who worshipped Baal and Asherah, and they were mad at him and Elijah for what they did to the regarding Baal and killing their prophets. So it could have been a very religious, nasty situation. But two bears came out, she bears, female bears, came out of the woods and ripped those boys up. And one thing that you can learn from that is never make fun of a bald-headed guy. I think God has a special place for us. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting story of Alicia. And he, he lives for a long time, I think almost 40 years, if I remember right. And he um, raised, he does a lot of the miracles Jesus does. I said that Elijah, Elisha was a type of Christ. And if you go back and look, I've even, um, I haven't counted him exactly, but he asked for a double portion. And I think if you go back and count, he does exactly twice as many miracles in the listed as Elijah does with twice wow. the power. And he also does a lot of the same miracles. He multiplies loaves for a group of a hundred men. They only have a few loaves. He multiplies them so that enough people could eat them all. He raised the dead. He did other things like that, that were miracles that, were pictures of Jesus doing miracles. Now, Elijah was taken up to heaven. Elisha was not. Elisha was buried in Sebastia. And there is a tomb there to this day. I go in that tomb to show you. He was buried there. And then John the Baptist, when he died, was also buried in the body, not the head, because the head was cut off. Somebody else got that. But the body of, Eli of, e of John the Baptist was buried with Elisha in Sebastia, which is in Samaria of today. And it's now under a, it used to be a church, but now it's a mosque. And the head of the mosque let us have access to all those places. It was good. But there was a time when Justin the apostate, I think about 400 AD, he was a an apostate. That's part of his appellation. Now his title, he was a apostate. He wanted to desecrate the tombs of Eli of Elisha and John the Baptist, but some smart monks heard about it. So they whisked the body away, both of the bodies, the bones, and they took them down to Egypt. So when um, so when Justinian Justin the apostate tried, Justinian the apostate tried to uh, desecrate it, he did the tomb, but he didn't get their bones. Now, St. Jerome, before this happened, tells of pilgrims who used to come there and miracles were performed in front of the bones of John the Baptist and Elisha said that demon possessed people would come there and the demons would go crazy 
and they would hang upside down and scream and bellow because of the bones were so powerful, the bones. And these are early stories of the relics. See, we, we Catholics, we don't really know our history as well as we should. Yes. Anyway, they took those bones down to the what's today, and it was back then too, the monastery of St. Macarius. And they put those bones there. And my wife and I went down there. We celebrated the liturgy with the bishop of the monastery because we couldn't go to a Catholic mass and we it's licit for a Catholic to do that. So we went to that Coptic mass. It, it's um, a licit sacrament. They still have the priesthood. And then we venerated the tomb and did part of the movie there in front of that the tomb there in, um, in Egypt. So now, interestingly enough, before the bones of Elisha were moved, and this is in the book of Kings, said that there was a battle and um, a guy died and they didn't have time to bury him. The Israelites didn't. The Moabites had invaded the land and they uh, killed this man and they threw him into the, the grave with the bones of Elisha the prophet. And obviously he was famous enough that they already remembered where his bones were because they threw this guy in there and they knew it was the bones of Alicia and the guy came back alive. He was a corpse. They threw his dead cold body in there and he, as soon as he hit the bones of Alicia, he came back alive and went off with them. Now this is where, you know, we as Catholics were a morbid bunch of folks. We collect body parts, people's tongues, people's ears, parts of blood. I've been, you know, in Poland, they have vials of John Paul II's blood and altars and things that you can venerate and body parts and all this. <laughs> well, it's because that's our hall of fame. And the we look back to things like this is where we get our idea of the relics all the way back from the bones of Elisha had power to raise a man from the dead. And Paul had a play in Ephesus, you could bring a napkin and you or a handkerchief that says and touch it on Paul. You know, you grab this thing and touch it on Paul. And then you run away to your grandma in the old folks home and she's healed. Or you're, you know, somebody's got a disease. You come and wreck, touch Paul with this the handkerchief and run over and touch him and they're healed. Everybody that was touched with the hand, touch Paul, get healed. And Peter, if you laid down in his shadow when he walked through Jerusalem, they'd bring grandma from the nursing home and they'd bring Uncle Fred. You know, he was sick in, in bed over there on, a, on his pallet. They'd get rush him over there and they'd lay him right where Peter's going to walk. They'd lay him down and, oh, quick, his shadow, grab him quick. His shadow's going to be over here. The sun moved. As long as the shadow of Peter fell on them, they were all healed. Interesting. The this fight. is where we get the whole thing of relics and the early church treated the bones of the martyrs as more precious than gold and silver and precious stones. So you see the bones of Elisha yeah. that raised a man from the dead. Um, so you just mentioned this is, if you want to read this in the Bible, it, we're in the book of Kings. Is it second Kings we're talking about here? Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't have it memorized the exact, you know, I can find it for you here. And, but while, and while this, I'm looking for that, what? um, I would say also now what, what we have to think about it is. Uh, it's fascinating history because we've had the split. The kingdom has split. They're in the northern kingdom. They're in exile. And now um, after this, we're talking about there's a time of the return, right? The, the actual uh, temple does get rebuilt. Um, and, and then we're leading up. We're waiting for Jesus. and Right. So that's Second Kings 1320, I think it is. Okay. So now what you have is 
just to, to run through the last couple hundred years to bring us up to John the Baptist and Mary, who are the two that are in the middle. They're not Old Testament. They're not New Testament. They're in the middle of the Testaments. And so Elijah and Elisha were prophesying to the northern 10 tribes. There were other prophets too. They didn't listen. So in 721, Assyria came from the other side of the Euphrates River, and they captured the 10 northern tribes of Israel, and they exiled them to Assyria, and those 10 tribes were gone forever. Nobody knows where they are to this day. There's a bunch of goofy religions that think they do, the Seventh-day Adventists, and, you know, there's others that think that they are the, the Mormons, you know, yeah. that they are the the heirs of these 10 tribes, but the 10 tribes are gone. The Samaritans that live there today are a mixed breed. They're really Assyrians who came back and they live there. They say that they're the original Samaritans. So that the Northern tribe 721 is gone. BC. There's other prophets in the South. You have Jeremiah and Isaiah and a bunch of others, and they preach to the South. They also didn't listen. So 200 years after that, Babylon came in in 586 BC and took them all away to Babylon. They were there for 70 years. And then Cyrus the king said God spoke to him and he let the Jews come back. And they rebuilt a very poor replica of the temple. And they lived there now until for years of silence. So 400 years of silence. Malachi prophet. 400 years of silence. You don't hear anything. And they're waiting for the Messiah. Has he forgotten us? Where's God? There's no prophets. There's no voice of God. But when the time came for Mary and Jesus and John the Baptist, there was the messianic fever. People knew something was going to happen. It was just the air was so thick you could cut it with a knife. The messianic fever was just everywhere. They knew something was like pulsing in the air. But those prophets, I call them the conscience of the kingdom. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the prophets, some to the north and some to the south. And they spoke God's word and the people rejected them. And then God, we read the, we've read the parable at mass frequently and recently about how the, the farm, the owner of the land sends his servants to the workers in the field and they kill his workers. He said, now I will send my son. They will respect my son. They killed all the prophets. God sent the prophets and his own people killed them, which is what Jesus said. You killed all of the prophets from Abel to Zechariah. And now they're going to kill him too. But that's the next two Yes, weeks. No, very exciting. So that kind of gets us through the kings. Ahab was a king. You know, what happened in those 800 years is all of these gods. And the worst sin of all, it wasn't sexual sins. It wasn't um, eating the wrong kind of food. The worst sins of all in God's minds were idolatry. Yes. Putting something else in God's place and bowing down and worshiping it. That I think is the worst sin of all. All sins are bad, but this is the sin that continued to irritate God over and over again. And there's a saying, they came out of Egypt, the Jews, and they had the golden calves and all the gods of Egypt. And they had a hard time turning their backs on those gods. 
So there's a saying that God could, it was easy for God to bring Israel out of Egypt, but God was never able to get Egypt out of Israel. Isn't that powerful? Yeah, Egypt symbolizing the world, right? And, and, uh, and amazing. Um, I think that's a great take-home message for all of us right now um, at the end of this session. Um, what is our idol? What is our Egypt? And uh, what is holding us back? And it does remind us, you know, the, the basic Ten Commandments, that very first one, have no other gods before me. It was like, why would you have to tell us that, God? Well, now we know why. There's so many yep. people worshipping pagan gods. Get back to the one true God. And, and all of us have to examine ourselves. Are, are there any idols in our lives? So, wow. Now, very powerful. I'm looking forward to the next one. The next one is Mary. Yes. We've now covered the whole Old Testament. Amazing. Like a, an, a jet flying over the landscape, looking down, kind of getting a bird's eye view. But we've just covered the books of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. And next time in November, we'll open up and we'll talk about Mary, who is right in the middle between the Old and New Testaments, her and John the Baptist, and how God called a little Jewish girl, yes. probably 14 or 15 years old. What's beautiful is the timing. We didn't set this up. I don't know if it was deliberate, Steve, but uh, the following month, I mean, then it becomes Advent, and then we're preparing for the coming of Christ in December right. and that's going to be the show on Jesus. <laughs> um, and then we're going to go into the new Testament and the apostolic fathers and finish the month before I have to leave and go back to Israel. So I have the time right now to do this. I wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. Right. That's right. This is kind of a unusual situation that I can do this with you because normally I'd be in Israel right now and I'd be in Israel again in November and again in December and again in January. Wow. <laughs> so I'm over there living it, but here I get to sit here and talk to you about it. Well, th thank you very much for sharing. And and just a reminder of people, if they want to know more about you, your work, the website again is Catholic, Catholic Convert. I'm a Catholic Convert, easy to remember. Go to catholicconvert.com. I have all kinds of free stuff to print and download. I've got hundreds of videos and audio, things like what we're doing now from the past, Catholic Answers Live and all the shows, a lot of the shows I've done. I got my store there with all my talks and movies. All the movies are here and all my books come signed. And all our pilgrimages, we got a whole eight of them now set for 2021. So go check out our pilgrimage. We already have people signing up again now. Excellent. And um, I put up a blog every day with pictures of my beautiful family and all kinds, everything in politics and biblical and Catholic on my blog. It's a real mixture of stuff that I think people enjoy it because it's not boring. Well, yeah, I love it. I love that you've dedicated your life to this and, uh, and uh, you're still evangelizing through all of the work that you're doing um and bringing the bringing the gospel to everyone we need it desperately today praying for the elections in america i think next time we get together we may know who the next president is so we're not sure uh well, i, I already know who the next president yeah, is. <laughs> that's right i have no doubt it's going to yeah. be president trump and we're all going to rejoice because we're putting in conservative look at this judge that we're she's going to get in too she is a faithful roman catholic mm -hmm. raising all that big family adopting some kids from Haiti. Uh, she is, she's magnificent. She's going to be a marvelous judge. And we're getting back to the point where we're getting rid of these judges who are all pushing abortion and infanticide and euthanasia and all these godless pagan ideas, LGBTQ and all the others. And we're getting back to getting some judges who are going to go back to treating the constitution with respect the way it was meant to be treated 
and hopefully bring some Christian sanity back into our country. Thank you, President Trump. May God bless him and bring him, give him another four years. Praying for that. Praying for that. Amen. Well, thank you. Anybody's out there a Catholic? I'm not a priest. I'm going to tell you, please go vote for Trump. There's never been a more pro-life, pro-freedom, pro-religious freedom president in my lifetime. This man needs to be put back. You may not like him. So what? You know what? Here's a close with this. If I had brain cancer and I had to find a, a surgeon, I would rather have an atheist Catholic who is an excellent surgeon than a lousy Baptist who never, who's only done one surgery. I don't care if the Christian brain surgeon is more moral and upright living. If he doesn't know what he's doing, I prefer to have the atheist brain surgeon do the work on me. I didn't, we're not hiring Trump because he's an outstanding saintly man. We're hiring him because he knows how to fix our country and he's doing it and defending pro-life and all the other liberties that we know we should have that yeah, are being very stolen. Good. Very well put. Um, spot on. Um, yeah. So absolutely. Well, good talking with you, Charbel. We'll be back next month. Sounds good. Thank you everyone for watching a special one today and next month we'll be on, uh, we're looking at Mary. So uh, pray for us. Stay in touch. Don't forget the Rosary Pilgrimage is now available um, and visit CatholicConvert.com. God bless you, everyone. Take care. <laughs>